Welcome, Omar. Thanks. Uh, great to be here, Steve. Yeah, really exciting to have you on. Uh, so you um, get credit for being the person to first put me on to Brett Victor, which is a pretty big deal given uh, what a big impact his work has had on my life. Uh, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So thank you, I guess, or or not. I got my girlfriend who's tired of hearing the name Brett Victor probably wouldn't thank you, but I, mm-hmm. I'm happy that I know who he is. <laughs> yeah. Um, I thought it'd just be interesting to set the scene. Um, we, I guess I was in my freshman year at Penn. You were in your first or second year of the Teal Fellowship. Um, I don't actually remember. Uh, yeah, I mean, it was definitely at least like a few months in, if not the second year. Cool. And um, and I had a, a team that I was going to go to this hackathon at Penn, Penn Apps with, but they dropped out at the last minute. And so my friend, uh, I think James, was like, oh, well, I have these, mm-hmm. these, these three Teal Fellows that are coming and, you know, teams can be up to four people. So why don't I put you with them? And I was mm-hmm. like, yeah, I felt very lucky. That sounds great. Um, and you guys were very nice in uh, accommodating, <laughs> accommodating me as an addition. And and that actually that was the first weekend I ever programmed in JavaScript. Uh, J- JavaScript. Really? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I didn't know that. I think at the time you knew it because you taught me JavaScript. Um, now I'm like yeah. a JavaScript, you know, like that's my favorite language. I, I'm like really intensely a JavaScript programmer. Right. I mean, that's that's. I think that's like a. Almost, that's almost like an industry-wide thing over the last few years. Um, like you've you've tracked like everybody else in that way. I think. <laughs> what do you mean? Like in, in that you know, like now everybody mm. who like now tons of people are doing this JavaScript stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, well, that, that that's an interesting perspective. My perspective on it was um, I had only done academic computer science up until that point, which means uh, Scheme, yeah, Java, yeah. Haskell. You know, all the all those languages. And so I was just so excited right. to be building a thing that's actually a product on the <laughs> internet. And you were like teaching me what these callback things were. And I was just so confused, but you did a great job. We, we, we made some good progress. Yeah. And that was a fun, uh, fun pro- it's also funny because, you know, often you get people who are like, you get people who are kind of trained in industry who are very familiar with JavaScript, who are very impressed by like the academic, you know, mm. people who know Haskell. Yeah, people of course. Know um, there's, there's wisdom on both sides. Uh, but anyway, so yeah, the, yeah. The, the scene that I remember was you and I were sitting there kind of nervously waiting to present what we built. Uh, and we were like, kind of like, watch, like half-heartedly watching everybody else's presentations. And I don't know what, what <laughs> I had said, but you were like, You're, you'd really like this essay. And you pulled up learnable programming on your computer and put your computer on my lap. And I started reading. And I, and I was like, I can't read this now, but I'm definitely going to read this later. And that was, that was the beginning. Yeah. And you did, and you did read it later, which, you know, I'm, I'm glad you did. Uh, yes. That's, that, that is a thing. Um, I've recommended that essay to a lot of people, but I think I can only remember one person actually taking me up on it and, and reading it all the way through. And it, and it took her a while, you know, cause it's, it's a long essay yeah. and it's dense and, yeah. and there's a lot in there. So, so anyways, that, that's the story of how I got into Brad Victor. I was wondering, if you have a, a story of how you heard about him the first time. Yeah, it, it is actually a story. Um, so a couple of years before I was in the fellowship and before I was at Stanford, I had been working for a few summers at Khan Academy, the kind of education nonprofit startup type thing. And um, the summer before I went uh, to college, they were doing this new computer science 
system where you know people could come in and like learn how to program and it was like this you know two paint classic like two pane brett victor style programming environment where you know you could make live changes to the code on the left and you'd see a canvas on the right um so i was not working on that system but you know it was a small organization i knew the people who were working on it and at the end of the summer they released it like in august or whatever and uh when they released the computer science framework they cited brett's work as a big inspiration to them and like getting them to make this two-pane structure and having the scrubbing of numbers in this live programming system and so i went and i looked at his stuff and like i just remember like you know i watched the inventing on principle video. And then I just sort of spent the rest of the night, like looking through the rest of his website um, because I've been so excited by the video. And like, I posted it, you know, in these Facebook groups I was in at like three in the morning, <laughs> um, all this other stuff. Uh, and so that was how I got, got into his work uh, for the first time. And then it became, you know, from that August on into the school year, it sort of became this motif where I'd share it with people and like, um, look at it every once in a while. And, you know, I think he, he, he came and visited Khan Academy like in October and I went, you know, I made the trip from Palo Alto to Mountain View and like, um, you know, saw the Q and A. So there were sort of a bunch of opportunities uh, for that work to keep coming up. And I think that was what part of why it stuck in my head so much in addition to the like addition, the initial exposure being so impactful to me. <clears throat> yeah, that, yeah, that's interesting that that's where you, you initially uh, entered into this world. And I just want to connect the dots there because I, I recently learned that um, John Rezig, who works at Khan Academy and was behind that environment, uh, was at mm -hmm. was at that talk, Inventing on Principle. I think he was like physically in the audience. And it had a, oh, really? I didn't know that. that I, I recently read that in an article somewhere and I was like, oh, wow. Okay, so that's kind of where, like, Inventing on Principle happened. Then John Rezig, you know, made, John Rezig, who's also the creator of jQuery, made processing mm -hmm. JS and, and, and this environment. And then to, to further connect the dot, then <laughs> Brett kind of in a, in a ranty way, cr criticized the, the, this environment that you're talking about that Khan Academy made to say that they kind of missed the forest for the trees, that they, they took his specific examples, but didn't quite understand what he was getting at through them. Uh, and so that's, that's where the essay learn programming, the one you show, shared with me came from. Yes, yes, yes. So this is all one big, really, um... Like all these things are very deeply connected. Yeah, yeah, they really are. And uh, you know, I was—I think he released that essay in the fall, so I wasn't physically there. But you know, I saw some of people's reactions, and I think certainly John was not—he uh, wasn't thrilled just on an emotional <laughs> level at at the response from Brett. Yeah, well, I, I think we've all—at least I've been there. I've—I've I've also made Brett victory yeah, things yeah. and had Brett be less than pleased, and I'd be very sad in response. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, um, but that's something that I think we all uh, end up dealing with. Yeah, yeah. Brett, Brett Victor uh, was seeking his approval. Mm -hmm. um, I guess on that on that note, you've made a lot of projects very much in the spirit of of Brett Victory inventing on principle things. Um, I, I kind of want to list a few of them. Uh, you have um, this. It looks like, kind of like a game simulation thing where you have a ball that drops and and you can like see mm -hmm. into the future. That's seemed very yeah. bright victory. You have a geometry workspace where you can like figure out like geometry math problems. It seems very Papperty, like Papperty or like Alan Kay would be into that too. Yeah. Uh, maybe the, the most obviously bright victory thing you have is Cruncher, which is uh, like, it's a literate programming environment where you can 
put numbers and connect them to each other and scrub them and they're all kind of connected in, in, a, in a cool yeah. way and there's there's and there's a nice graphing facility which you yes can free. and that was explicitly inspired by brett's uh, scrubbing calculator concept um, yeah yeah and then uh, and then also recursive ed uh, explanation editor that that seemed also very re re related to a lot of the ideas from alan and brett yeah i mean I, and one way i think of that one is that it's like a trying to figure out what kind of structure would be useful outside of quantitative you know simulatable areas mm. like what kind of interactivity would be useful what kind of uh, you know what 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 can the computer do to help you with that kind of writing yeah um yeah. Fa fascinating All, each each one of these is like a fascinating area that that can that i think it would be interesting to go further down each each branch of of the tree that these projects have started um so maybe i'd be curious because you have so many of these projects in the in this world i'd be curious to know kind of how you how like you decided to work on these why you stopped what you learned if you're ever going to continue in any of these directions that sort of thing um yeah that's it's it's a great question and you i think it's worth understanding that a lot of these are in the context of the two-year fellowship that i had where i had you know a lot of flexibility and uh and so i would kind of work on whatever i was interested in at the moment and a lot of these are also in the context of me trying to learn and this is this is something maybe more prosaic. A lot of these are in the context of me trying to learn some particular technology. So, for example, uh, the scrubbing calculator was also, I think, the first, you know, kind of web project that I had done. You know, I had done web-related work at Khan Academy. I'd, like, written little exercises. But this was one of the larger projects uh, that I'd done kind of from scratch on my own. Got it. Um, and so, did, uh, so spe speaking of Brad Victor uh, approval and disapproval, did... Did he ever look at any of these projects and comment positively or negatively? Yeah. Um, you know, the scrubbing calculator was actually what got me in touch with him for the first time. Uh, and I think, and I've uh, presented a few others uh, when I went out to the lab. Um, Brett had a workshop with a bunch of us in 2014. Got it. Yeah, I think you might, uh, yeah. Who else was? There, if you don't mind, I'm, I, could, I, I, I like the like the social aspect of how everyone kind of connected. yeah. So, th so this was the uh, this was the explorable explanations workshop. Um, Nikki Case was there. That was kind of how we first got connected, even though we were both also in the fellowship. Um, oh, he was a, he's there. a teal fellow. I didn't know Nikki was a teal fellow. Yeah, um, I don't think it's like super widely known, but uh, cool. I'm going and, up to Boston uh, next week uh, to hang out with with him and some of those yeah, guys. Yeah, yeah. Nikki was here for a lot of last month, so we spent a lot of time hanging out. Yeah, Mike, uh, Michael Nielsen, uh, Manish Agarwala, who's a professor at Stanford now, and that was kind of how I first got connected with him. Um, Amit Patel, the Red Block Games guy. Yeah. And there were kind of 20 people who were all doing stuff in this area. And, it, uh, it was, and so it was great, great to meet all of them and also great to spend a few days in the old... Uh, CDG lab in San Francisco, mm. the lab that's now evolved into Dynamic Land. Yeah, yeah. Oh man, what a what an amazing all star crew. That sounds awesome. Yeah. Um, cool. So, um, so you did the TL Fellowship. You made a bunch of these projects, and then you decided to go back to Stanford and finish your degree. So, I'd be curious mm -hmm. to know why you decided to do that and and how how that was. Yeah, it's it's a it's a good question. I mean, from my point of view. Um, you know, I wanted to continue with 
some of the projects I was doing and it seemed like it would be difficult to do that if I went and got a job or something. You know, a lot of my friends who had done the fellowship had kind of ongoing startups that they just kept with, kept going with after the fellowship. But that was not something that I was involved, that, you know, that wasn't the case for me. Mm -hmm. um, so it was a question of like, okay, what do I want to do next? And, uh, yeah, I went back to Stanford and I actually, you know, I had been there for one semester before the fellowship and I actually completed the degree in two years. So it was, you know, it was considerably faster than most people. Uh, it wasn't like a four-year commitment. Mm -hmm. uh, and I also, you know, by that point, um, had a much better idea of, what I wanted to do, you know, I was, I knew I was connected with professors at Stanford. I, I kind of had a good idea of what kinds of things I wanted to learn. And so I found it actually quite useful, I think in a very different way than it would have been if I had just stayed uh, continuously mm -hmm. rather than taking time off for the fellowship. Oh, interesting. Are there any professors in particular that you worked with or you benefited yeah, Manish, from? Manish, um, Pat Hanrahan, who's in, in graphics, um, have been, uh, Stu Card, who is one of the original Xerox Park people, who's now a uh, professor emeritus at Stanford. Oh, so cool. those, are, those, are, those are the three faculty that I've really worked with uh, a bunch on, on this kind of work. I mean, they're all familiar with, with Brett's work. And now you have a, a pretty cool situation where you're working with someone and, uh, I don't, I don't remember exactly the situation, but it seemed like a pretty nice setup at a university um, where you could work on these sorts of projects. Who's that yeah. with? Uh, that, that, that's, that's been with Pat. Um, and also, you know, I also meet with the other faculty and that's been the situation for a bit over a year now. Um, so, I mean, this is like, like, you know, the way academia works is that, you, you know, if you have a, an advisor who's willing to work with you on, on your projects, then you can do your projects, right? Mm-hmm. Cool. And so it, you're pursuing a degree with these? Yeah, with I'm, these? A, I'm a master's student, um, which you, like for a lot of people at Stanford, I think a master's, the master's degree is a way to stay on and, and take more classes. But for me, it's more been a way to have the time flexibility to, to, uh, to do, to just continue doing this kind of work. Cool. Um, that, that makes, sounds like a great setup. Uh, and, and it's, and I know that you've, use a lot of that flexibility of your time to spend time driving up to dynamic land and hanging mm -hmm. out there. Yeah. Um, when did you start going to dynamic land? Uh, so they, they opened the lab up. Well, they, they, they sent an email to everyone on their kind of mailing list of friends uh, almost exactly a year ago, I think saying, Hey, we have a working system. We're going to have an open house. Like, in like this week or whatever. So a bunch of people came up, we went to the lab, we saw the system. So that was the first time that I really came in. Uh, I, I would say it, it took a few months for me to really understand like, okay, when can I come in and like play around with the system? Mm. I think it, it took them a while to figure out like what exact, what exact policies were and like, and it took me a while to be comfortable coming in, but. Yeah, um, well, so, I, dynamic, uh, part of what I want to do with you on this podcast is uh, is like articulate what dynamic land is, and I yes. think it's a, it's, it's a very hard. hard. It's yeah. quite difficult. Yeah, it's very hard. So I don't think we can just go at it directly. I can't just say like, tell me like in a few sentences what it is. I think we right. kind of I have think to that's like been, that's been the approach that has been tried before, and I think it mostly fails as as an approach. Yeah. So m one idea I had was I'd be curious to get your like initial impressions. Uh, 
if you can remember them and, and maybe go through and how your like understanding of it deepened over time if you, yeah. and maybe give some anecdotes that that's one approach do you have another way of, of elucidating i think that's a good approach um, all right and so I, it's, it's, it is kind of something i want to talk about anyway Okay. Yeah. Let, let's hear it. So what were your initial impressions? Did, did you, was it profound or you, you didn't, didn't get it at first? I didn't get it like at all. I was pretty unimpressed, I would say. Um, oh, that's fascinating. Yeah. And I think this is like not, I think this is a common experience, especially among people like you and me who are familiar with the earlier work who are programmers. You know, mm -hmm. I was, I was like not super impressed with the system. Yeah, yeah, like because we look at Brett's work and it's like so dynamic and magical, and then you show up at Dynamic Land and, and it's like all flat and paper. Yeah, kind of. and I think you know it lacks like there's this smoothness that maybe he inherited from Apple that it lacks mm. uh, in in little ways. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so um, so like maybe paint paint the scene. So you show up in the lab, and and what what is it that you're looking at that's so unimpressive to begin with? Um. I would say there's there's two things. Uh, the first thing is the low like quality of the demos that are everywhere. So one thing to to point out is that in August of last year there were only like pretty low resolution projectors. So basically you just see these shapes like moving <laughs> around. You know there was like the text would have to be you know two inches tall each letter for it to be mm -hmm. readable. And then the second thing is is the editing experience where to do anything you have to pull out a laptop to edit pages so despite the pitch of dynamic land being that you can get rid of your laptop in practice anybody who was working in the space was on their laptop <laughs> yeah yeah that, that that does sound uh like doesn't live up to its own promise so i maybe i'll just backtrack a second uh i'm realizing now we should maybe give a, a brief explanation that what, what you see, uh, like the core technology is that there are like projectors on the ceiling pointing down at tables and there are also cameras next to those projectors detecting what's going on mm -hmm. in those tables. Uh, so that, yes. that's like the, the basic hardware setup. And then there's like software that, that handles a lot of the basic tracking of, of pieces of paper using these dots you may have seen on Twitter. Uh, and it associates paper to you know, programs that are also printed on this paper, the piece of paper. So, so that, that's kind of the basic setup. Uh, maybe you can help, help me explain that better if you have anything to add. Yeah, I, I would say that's the explanation from kind of the implementation out. Um, I, I, I would say the explanation from the interface in is that each piece of paper is a program and you put a piece of paper on the table to execute it. And program behaviors can be like they want to draw something on themselves and then a projector will do that for... Um, you know, they want to do something based on where the paper is or other pieces of paper that it's pointed at. But, you know, there's this conceptual idea that like this piece of paper is that program and the program code is printed on the piece of paper. Got it. Yep. That, that makes a lot of sense. Um, okay. So, so those are your initial impressions. So why'd you keep coming back if you weren't that excited? Um, I think one big reason is that like you, I was so impressed with Brett's earlier work that I was like, okay, you know, if, if, if these people, you know, and Brett's, the other researchers in the lab were also, you know, had done pretty interesting work in the past. If these people are, are working on this, they must think there's something there. So I want to hang around here and see, you know, what is the big deal? Like, why are they interested <laughs> in this system? Yeah. Okay. And so what did, what did you do there for the first few times? What were you building or working on? 
so I think the first time that I built anything, it was uh, this little BART. This is almost an embarrassing project. It, it was just <laughs> a little uh, BART map. So it would show where BART is like the subway system in, in the Bay Area. So it would, you, you know, it was this big, it was this big kind of poster sized piece of paper. Um, and it would show you, uh, it would basically just draw the route lines um, of BART, like geographically. And then, and I remember, so it was, it, so you put it down, it would basically show these lines, and then it would also show the station names and like dots where the stations are. So it was basically like an internet API thing, right? Like it would go to the BART API and like get this geographic shape file and then render it to this poster. <laughs> And I remember, you know, showing it to other people and like grabbing this little dot robot that was a line follower and putting it down and it just followed the BART line in the same way that a train does in real life, which I thought was pretty cool. And that is on Twitter somewhere. Interesting. And so was that like exciting? You know, what was your impression of that? Like, because I feel like even there you start to get a sense of how things are so composable in dynamic land. Yeah. I think I think the the little robot was the most impressive thing, and also I, I added a little thing where you could like put a dot down; it would highlight what station was was nearby. So I think those two physical interactions were the thing that impressed me. But I wasn't impressed with I still wasn't impressed with the programming experience of building this thing, and I, that that's part of why I say I'm a little embarrassed by it because it's a very, in my view, it's a very typical programmer's first project at Dynamic mm-hmm. Land, and that is mm-hmm. so like talking to the internet, you know, rendering a bunch of stuff. Uh, <laughs> Interesting. Yeah. So it sounds like there's really like a, 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 a dynamic land style. It's different. It's almost like um, you, you can tell when someone who's like from the eighties is building a web app. It looks like, a, like, a, you, like when yeah. you look at, yeah, that's a great it, comparison. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. So, so um, talk more about the dynamic land style. What's, what's different. Like, how can you tell if someone's building something dynamic landy or, building it in the old in the style that we all know yeah i think the the crudest heuristic is like are there multiple pages in terms of how the code is architected so one thing i i write about in the post that you've mentioned earlier this post about one of my dynamic link projects is that um you know it's not idiomatic to have like to have a program that's more than one page uh like you should split it into multiple pages so that there's this modularity and so that like the pages, the pages are individual objects that you can use. Mm. Um, and so like, if you see a lot of programmers who come in, you know, they'll sit down and they'll point the keyboard at a page and then they'll just like start programming. <laughs> and they're basically using the page as though it's their laptop display. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. I, I, I went there and I did that. I'm, I'm familiar. Yeah. I, so, think, I think you I think you transcended it at some point. Like, I don't even know if <laughs> if there's a way around that. Like, I almost think at this point, everybody just has to go through that phase if they're a programmer. <laughs> yeah, yeah that, that makes a lot of sense. So I, I just want to, like, linger on this a, a second because it's, like, a profound point that I don't know if it, if it comes across. So in what, what you just said is that in Dynamic Land, um, a program is not supposed to be longer than a, like, 8 by 11 white sheet of paper like printer paper like th- there should be no program yes. longer than that 70, 70 73 lines i think is the equivalent in lines of code that are on the page yeah so 73 lines of code and then there's also comments and also you really don't want any line to go 
beyond like 80 characters or whatever because then it literally won't be on the, the, the page so right right every piece every like so when you when you put a piece of paper on the table it executes that code and the, the way it's, it's not reading the code on the paper it's, it's reading the code based on the, the dots and on the corner of the paper but the idea of dynamic land is that humans should be able to like read the code on the paper whenever they want it, it, the system should be inspectable in that way right and I think we want we want people to think of it as though the system is reading the code on the paper. Because yeah. That's a productive way to think about it. Like then, you know, you can imagine being able to cross things out with a pen, et cetera. And it actually knowing that you crossed it out. And you know, yeah, yeah. That, that, yeah that, that's, I guess, the dream. If there are no dots in the corners, it's, it's actually a camera that's reading the lines of code and executing them. Uh, yeah, which, which, like, which I, try, like a, I try not to think too much about the dots because I view that mm. as like, that's just an implementation detail. That's, ah. not funda that's not fundamental to the system or to the things we want to prototype about the future. Mm -hmm. So Fascinating. So I think th this, this aspect of it, the like very short amounts of code, very powerful abstractions, this, it seems to have inherited a lot of ideas from this, this Alan Kay's Steps project. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Yes, I, maybe you'd be better to summarize the Steps project and explain how it's an influence on this system. Yeah, I, I, so the Steps project was done by Alan Kay's lab, which was kind of one of the predecessor labs to the CDG or the Dynamic Land Lab. Um, so this was down in LA, Alan Kay and some of three researchers from you know past small talk things wanted to build a new operating system, I guess. And they wanted it to be in total under, I think, 20,000 lines of code. So they wanted, to, wanted it to be orders of magnitude simpler and, and more comprehensible because it was less code compared to you know, Windows, which is millions of lines of code, Windows and Microsoft Office, which are millions of lines of code. And they wanted it to have you know, roughly the same functionality. Um, so wh why, why did they think this was like an important goal? Yeah, I, well, I think it, for them, it, it comes down to comprehensibility. Like, if you have 10 million lines of code, no human being, no individual human being can understand those tens of millions of lines of code. Uh, whereas if you have 20,000, that's something that, you know, I can write in, in a few months, probably. Or that, and that's something that, like, an individual person can understand, can rewrite. It, I, I think there's almost, uh, one of my friends said it was a Jeffersonian kind of yeoman farmer ethos where like anybody can come in and, and do meaningful stuff to the system because it's a small human scale system. Mm -hmm. And that is kind of, that seems like the right way to think about it. Whereas if you have 10 million lines of code, it's kind of the technology has sort of an authoritarian bent because you just need this large organization like Microsoft or Apple uh, to be able to contend with the code and make changes to it. Mm -hmm. You need like division of labor and people to focus on their little fiefdoms. Yeah, exactly. So uh, when I've talked about, you know, the benefit of one person being able to understand things, people kind of look at me askance and say, well, like, of course, that'd be nice, but that's just clearly impossible. Mm -hmm. uh, but I guess the, the steps program, that, that's what it is. It's saying, like, actually, no, it, it, this is a working system. <laughs> it's not impossible. Yeah. Like, like proof, proof by contradiction. <laughs> yeah. And there system. were there were, you know, mechanisms they used to try and achieve this, like making a tower of domain specific languages so that like, you know, you had these very simple like interpreters and then the domain code was very simple. And the total amount of code was not that much. Mm. Yeah, that seems like a powerful way to go. I, but, and dynamic land is also a very small amount of code, correct? 
Like yes. the, the, the whole system is very small. And I've seen photos that, or tweets that say that the system runs in itself somehow. Is that, is that how it runs truly now? Yes. Um, the core of the system. There's like one cutout right now, but for the most part, you, you can think of it as being self-hosting. Fascinating. Um, so, how, like, did, did um, Dynamicland use the same idea of, like, domain-specific language is lay, lay on top of each other, like, kind of like Steps did to get this code reduction? How, because Dynamicland's a pretty complicated system. How are they, how are they, how is it possible to be built in? Like, yeah, how, how many pages of paper is it? Like, like 30 pages of paper? Like, it's like a few thousand lines of code, the whole system? I think so, yeah. So, so the physical is that it's, it's all printed out on pages that fit on the front and back of two whiteboards. And I think they're trying to keep to that constraint or maybe even shrink that constraint. So two whiteboards worth of pieces of paper that like are kind of tiled on the whiteboard. What, is it called like big board or the boardroom? What, what, what's, what's that? The, like, I, I feel like it has a name. A little real talk OS is like the oh. banner above it. So yeah, so the, the operating system, like the the pieces of paper that are running, even if they're not out on the table in front of you, the kind of core pieces of paper. Got it. Um, yeah, and I think I, one thing I want to mention is I think this is one of those um, properties of the system that you don't appreciate when you first come in. Like I mentioned earlier, you know, I didn't get it when I first came in, and this is one of the things that I didn't get. Mm. So which one, the, the the fact that it runs on itself? The fact that it runs on itself, the fact that the system is designed, like one of the design goals is this type of simplicity and understandability, I think is something you don't appreciate until you've had some time programming in the system and you don't have some time programming in the system when you just come in for a tour. Got it. So, okay, so the that, that makes a lot of sense. So do you, I, I don't know if you know the answer to this, how how like how are they able to build a system that's so complicated in 30 you know or in, in yeah. two whiteboards back to back it's still a question that i'm wrapping my head around but one answer that i give in my post is a lot of user interface code is not needed in dynamic land um so so i give the i give the example in my post of you know i have this map system where you have there's these individual pieces of paper that represent individual data layers. Like there's one for demographic information. There's one for, there's one that's a normal map and you can kind of point them in order at a map to like render all those layers. So, you know, you, you have these, this mechanism for arranging and adding and removing layers where you don't need to implement any user interview. You don't need to implement like a list view. You don't need to implement check boxes to check and uncheck layers. You don't need to implement like drag and drop and event handlers. So I think one reason that the code there's less code is that you don't need to write a lot of the of that kind of basic UI code uh, when you're doing anything. You don't need to write like ls to like list files. You don't need to write a list view control UI component. Mm. Um, yeah. Well, so I think not having to write user interface code is it, yeah, it's like a wonderful theme because you have reality. Reality is the interface. You, you, you don't yeah. you, like you can use tape and glue and scissors and like physical things. Uh, you don't have to like, right. write code to, to make pixels to, to like simulate those things. You can use the real thing yeah. themselves and have cameras detect what's going on. Yeah. Or even to like take input um, or like print things. You don't need to write like a shell. There's a, there's a lot of like that kind of stuff. 
So I think that, that like the fact that you don't have to write user interfaces uh, fits into like the theme I saw in your article of all the things you get like quote for free. Uh, yeah. Like for like I guess like you mentioned the uh, the robot that followed the line on your train diagram. So you got that for free. Like you, there are two things that were modularly built and you just put them together and you get a third thing for free. Yes. Yes. So you, maybe you could so modularity makes a lot of sense how modularity would get you some things for free and then also user interfaces for free is there anything else you get for free in dynamic land um user interfaces uh modularity well the, the one thing i would yeah, yeah. i would call out that the system is, is sort of a reactive system um maybe let's talk about the programming paradigm because I, I, yeah. I imagine a lot of our listeners are programmers and they're like Wait, like what, what, what language is this? Is this JavaScript? Is it C? <laughs> what are we yeah, talking about? So this is, this is Lua, uh, or it's, it's a superset of Lua because it's, you can use Lua to do normal programming, normal computation, but uh, we've added some extensions that are real talk or dynamic land specific. And just to put another phrase on that, what, what I found helpful is to describe it as like Lua with a few macros. So it's like, yeah. It, it, yeah. yeah. So like there are a few pieces of syntax that could just, just compile directly to the Lua function. So you, so you could just think of it as Lua with like a few co-generated, right. greater, you know, just a few like syntactic sugars. Right. And I, and I should say, you know, this is sort of like the dots in the, um, mm -hmm. yeah. you know, we're not strictly wedded to Lua, but I think it does, you know, we want to keep the programming paradigm if it's the right programming paradigm. Maybe eventually you don't write type code or maybe it's like a custom language or something, but like, there's a lot of things that I think are genuinely part of the idea in the programming paradigm. Uh, okay, so let's talk about the programming paradigm. What's, yeah, yeah. what's the basis? Yeah, so, so um, as I said, I think of it as a as sort of a reactive paradigm. So there's kind of three, three of these macros that have been added. There's claim, wish, and when. Uh, and I think these are or these originate in like natural language data log, which is like a related earlier project. Um, and, and so you can, when you're writing a page, you can make claims, uh, which kind of attach, which, which are claims and wishes, which are sort of statements that go into this global database. And then other people or you can use when to match on statements in the database. Um, so one example, is in this map post uh, about my map system that I did, uh, I make a page that re represents a map of San Francisco. So I write on it, you know, claim I'm a map of these coordinates that are San Francisco. And then I have a separate page that's like a map engine that looks for all the pages making that kind of claim. And then it knows how to draw San Francisco on them. Mm. Interesting, okay, so why yeah, well, why does this make sense? Uh, like, well, I, it's not intuitively obvious to me why that's like, it's a, it's a good paradigm. Yeah, um, it's, I think w one of the big things that, um, yeah, well, I, I think one reason it makes sense is that it decouples, like it, it decouples basically everything from everything, but it decouples the mechanism from the goal. So for example, if I want to draw something, I say, you know, I wish this page has this illumination with these shapes on it. And then anybody else can fulfill that wish. And you know, in, in right now the projector will, and it'll render those shapes on top uh, with, with projected light. But you can imagine maybe there's like a little pen robot that will draw them instead. And so this decoupling, um, 
this decoupling makes a lot of sense, I think, for this system because you have created pages implementing behavior and you're often changing like one page at a time and leaving the rest the same. So you don't want that kind of strict binding early when you make function calls. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Yeah, so a wish, like I, I can't say do this thing and then when, when it's done, let me know. It's more of a like, I wish this were the case and, and that wish is just out there and I, I can't you know, assume that it's going to get done by somebody. Yeah. And, and, um, or if you make a claim about something, you know, that data is just out there and somebody may use it and multiple people may use it, which I think is one of the advantages of this kind of decoupling is it makes it really easy to introspect on the behavior of other things. Um, because like, if you make a function call, nobody else other than you and the callee knows that you made the function call. But if you make mm -hmm. a claim or wish, you know, others can introspect on the, on it that they can translate it into other claims and wishes. Mm. It creates yeah. a much more open open system. Yeah, this this is a very intense decoupling. It, it's like instead of yeah calling functions very specifically, you're just kind of yeah you're 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 pushing things into a queue or a database, and then other things are grabbing them out of a queue. And it, you know, it's very very decoupled. Yeah. Um, and, and so one one thing yeah go for it. One, one thing, one other property I'll call out that came up, uh, we were messing around with this last night with a friend of mine, uh, is that this also, there's a kind of natural, multiple things are able to happen at once. So one example is if I have a page, I can wish that the page is labeled with some string. So I can wish it says, hello world, and then it'll render hello world. Um, but if multiple people wish that a page has different labels, like maybe one says, maybe one page wishes that it says hello world, another page wishes that it says goodbye. Um, it can just do both, right? Like you can just say hello world at the top and then goodbye at the bottom. Uh, so, I mean, that's a very simple example, but there are a lot of little things like that where multiple behaviors will just stack or will just happen side by side in a really easy way. Mm. Yeah, well, I think composability is, is really, when you, when you really reduce coupling like this, you, you get so much composability for free, which is what we were talking about before. Yeah. Um, and, and like one, one idea in particular comes to mind, um, something that you, happened uh, with you and I, uh, and mm -hmm. I think also like epitomizes collaboration. Yeah. Um, you, you, you know what I'm getting at? Yeah, I know exactly what you're going to say, but go, go ahead. Yeah. So, um, so I was working on this, this, I was at Dynamic Land for a week and I was working on this number system, uh, which I'll link to because it's, it's better seen. But it's like, it's like I, I called it like spreadsheet in the world. Uh, you can have numbers or lists of numbers. You can mm -hmm. add them and multiply them and, and divide them all by just moving these pieces of paper and putting poker chips, uh, like colored dots on top of the piece of paper, which would, you know, if you put a one, that's if you put a blue, a blue dot, maybe that's a one and a red dot's a 10. So a, a, that would be 11 if you had them on the same paper. So I was working on my number system. And Omar was working on his map kit. I got, but I don't know if you if you knew it was going to become a kit at the time. Did you? Yeah, yeah. Um, okay. I think I had it in the. I think I had that in the back of my head because I was yeah. wanting to move into this more idiomatic like kit making yeah, yeah. territory. But it was very unclear what would exactly be in it. I was just yeah. playing with drawing maps. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So so Omar was playing with drawing maps. I didn't I didn't quite get what he was doing or why, but I I saw that he was playing with drawing maps, and I was playing with my number adder thing. And um, at some point, Omar needed a, a number input to his system. And I had named my, like, I had made a claim about 
that like I'm a number and my and my value is four or something. Mm-hmm. And yeah. and and you had a number system that had a slightly different convention, but you just changed to mine. And all of a sudden, we I we just slid my number over to your system, and you had a number input, and it worked with yeah. all of my functionality and all of your right. functionality just immediately composed, and it was right. quite satisfying. Yeah, I, I like it was like you like if you moved yours over to mine, that was like fixed zoom, or it was like you could customize the zoom by changing the numbers your way. And then I had like a slider to like zoom in and out, and I just moved that over to yours, and now you had a slider that you yes, could put in exactly. your spreadsheet computation yes, exactly. graph. Totally. Yep. Um, yeah, I think the composability there. I think there's a few things in there, but the the two things I'll I'll mention are there's the composability and there's also just the physical being able to just physically slide programs over to each other rather mm-hmm. than having to like rip, you know, some code out of some giant library and like paste it in the other library or like figure out the API bindings. It's like okay, okay, so hold on, we want to collaborate now. Okay, so let, let's install Git. All right, so you're gonna create the repo. I'll create the repo. All right, so you pull, you clone now. Uh, all right, great. You know, it's just like a collaboration <laughs> between right. two, two programmers on computers. Well, first of all, we wouldn't have even known that collaboration would make sense because, like, I'm on yeah, a screen, yeah. you're on a screen. I can't see your screen, you can't see mine. And like, the screens aren't big. You know, the screens aren't big enough. They're too personal. So we wouldn't have even known to collaborate. And then the collab- the costs of getting started collaborating would have been so high, we would have never even really considered it. Uh, and then, and then, of course, the mechanics of it were just are just terrible. So, so yes, it, 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 I think to me that really epitomizes the a, a lot of the benefits of dynamic land, all, all in one little story. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, one on the on the negative side, I want to just kind of get your thoughts. So, I'm also a big. Uh, I, I've been indoctrinated uh, in the, this idea of the comprehensibility. This Jeffersonian mm-hmm. style makes a lot of sense. Uh, and I actually mm-hmm. just finished writing a paper um, about the comprehensibility of reactive systems. Yeah, uh, yeah. And um, my claim is, or my perspective on this issue is, is I take a very, very different angle. Um, I, mm-hmm. I take the angle that decoupling is is quite bad. Uh, it's very, mm-hmm. it's very wonderful to write decoupled programs, and you get a lot of composability mm-hmm. for free, and it's it's nice. But then, on the comprehensibility perspective, if you come to a complex system and you're trying to understand how it works you have really a hell of a time of it because everything's decoupled. You have to like, basically what my argument is when things are decoupled, you have to read every line of code and in your head put mm-hmm. together how they, they make sense as opposed yeah. to a system with tight coupling done well, you know, not, not to say tight, you know, a system that really lists all of its dependencies, basically explicitness is what yeah. I'm getting at. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Really makes things comprehensible. You know, it's harder to write that way. And it's, it's also hard to understand, but, but for complex systems, it's really necessary, I would argue. So, Mm-hmm. What, what's, what's the response of or your response or the dynamic response to that criticism? Yeah, well, I think um, if you have less code, you get a lot for free in terms of uh, like you're kind of you're having it. in it. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and, t- and you also like, I, you know, one comparison I'd make is like a lot of people say if you have static types, then it'll catch a lot of bugs or if you have tests, it'll catch a lot of bugs. But another way to have less bugs is to just to have less code because um, then you don't have as much code to check for bugs or that can be broken. Um, so that, that would be the first thing I would say. Okay, um, fair, fair. And then the, the second thing I'd say is I think a lot of it actually comes down to tooling. Like I think there's a tooling question in terms of like the, the advantage that you put forward for, for, couple, for tight coupling is that, well, okay, if you have tight coupling, then it becomes really easy to follow the path of dependency from a given 
piece of code outward. And I think yep. an alternative approach is, let's go, okay, maybe we have really loose coupling, but we have inspection tools that can actually trace at runtime why things are happening. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that, you know, I think we still need to see, like, is that a viable approach even at dynamic land? But I think that would be the dynamic land approach to solving some of these problems is to do runtime tracing rather than to try and statically analyze or statically present yeah, these yeah. types of dependency chains. Classic. I, I, I could have guessed that would be the response. I think yeah. this, this epitomizes the, um, the divide. There's the, uh, the interpreted uh, slash like runtimey people like Brett Victor, Smalltalk, mm -hmm. Alan Kay, Scratch. Like it, it's, all, it's all happening dynamically and live, and that's part of what makes it beautiful. And then yeah. on the other hand, there's the compiled people, and there's the Haskell people, and the typed people, and, and they're not as interested in life. And I think we really need... I, I, yeah, I am of the I, I'm of the opinion that we need both and maybe you are too. Yeah, I mean I think we need more approaches. Like I think yeah, you know, the, I think there need to be more people kind of just playing with this stuff. Like if there were another dynamic land that took a totally different approach but kept the principles, I think that's that's totally possible that you like you can achieve these things in a different way. Mm -hmm. Um you know, one one example I bring up is um yeah, I think it's I think it's a shame that a lot of the static typing folks um, don't go down the live programming path as well, because I think, you know, like one example I bring up is is, is uh, Go, the programming language. It has a really fast compiler. And so I think that actually really changes the way people interact with it, even though it is like a compiled statically typed language. It has this short feedback loop that characterizes like programming in Python or a, or a language like that. We mm write code and then you run it and it takes a few milliseconds to 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 close that gap yeah that, that really does make a difference i i've been programming in uh haskell's ghcjs you know haskell's mm -hmm. javascript compiler yeah and like i really i, I don't want to be critical because i i'm like it's fun to program in javascript but it really is hell on earth like i like i leave those sessions like angry at the world like, like my family my friends like everyone could see that like like oh Stevie was programming in JTJS like like he yeah. is angry now yeah uh, it's just really really shitty to like have to use Emacs you know I guess part of the issue is I just don't like Emacs like I have to use Emacs and and then I like make a small change I, like the, the way it's forced me to work is that I have to make the smallest possible modification to each program because if I make a big modification then I don't know what caused the problem so I make the tiniest modification then I have to run the program wait three or four seconds and then make another modification it's just it's the worst um uh, but but it's yeah. crazy because i love haskell so much for so many other reasons that you know i really i really think yeah merging of of these worlds it, to yeah, me it would just be the you best. know I, I the way i think of this is actually like it's all about the feedback loop um yeah between you and the program and it's like that feedback can be the program running it can be a type error you know, it doesn't, Yeah. like, I think those are both valid forms of feedback, but you want to get the feedback back fast, whatever. Yes. And you want, yeah, 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 it's true. It's uh, true. Yeah. I, I don't know if you're, you're, I, I should probably talk with someone who's more of a, a Haskell person, but like, I, I, like, why is it so, why is Haskell so slow? Like, like, can well, I, think I it's, build? It's, it's, it's characteristic of this generation. Of, and may, and I think this is why, this is an understandable reason for skepticism of the static stuff. It's like, you know, if you look at the Rust compiler or the Swift compiler, they're also pretty slow. Like these modern languages tend to be pretty, if they have sophisticated type systems and like optimization. Yeah, I guess like, you know, the, the idea is they want this, their programs to run quickly. 
Uh, so they're doing all this like <laughs> smart stuff to like make it run yeah. quickly. But like, I'm I don't care. Like I like yeah. I'm not building a program to run quickly. I'm building a program right now to figure out what program to build, and then like eventually when I want to deploy, like sure, then take as long as you want to to make it yeah. fast. Like, I don't care. About yeah, that. exactly. Yeah. Um. So, anyways, uh, anyway, that, that, a, a rant and a tangent. Let's let's take it back to the yeah. clan if we can. <laughs> I, well, well, one one other thing I wanna wanted to bring up is there's an interesting blog post that I saw um, last year, I think, about, and the, the thesis of the blog post was that there's a if you start with a compiler and say I'm going to write a compiler, versus you start with an interpreter and say I'm going to write an interpreter, it just puts you in a fundamentally different yes. mode of thinking about what yes. kind of language you're going to write. Yeah, so that's exactly what I'm getting at. Yeah. Um, what what's that so post? I, do you do you remember the title or author of that post? I'd love to have it. Yeah, I'll I'll have to dig it up, but um, I'll I'll definitely send it to you. Um, Thank you. Yeah, so I think like in the abstract, you know, obviously there's a lot of stuff you can do with a compiler or an interpreter, and maybe we just need people to stretch their brains and be like, okay, I, I'm going to write a compiler, but I want to think like an interpreter writer about live programming and and you know loose coupling or whatever else it is. That's kind of what what I think is going to happen to me eventually when I when I eventually make a language or that that's the dream I want to yeah I want to yeah. go into creating a language with the idea of both well actually I was going to bring this up later but now's a good time on your website you have the phrase uh, thinking about programming as a user user interfaces mm -hmm. and that phrase means a lot to me but I, I don't and probably to the listeners of this podcast but. Like to my family, it doesn't make any sense that phrase. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, so if you could help me unpack it, I, I think that'd be an interesting conversation. Yeah, I think I think the phrase is almost it's like in the context of not thinking of programming as this sort of formalistic, you know, language construction endeavor. Like it's like 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 I think the way that I think of programming systems is like a programming a good programming system is one that's good for people to use rather than one that has certain formal properties, um, and so I think opposition to a lot of the work you see in the academic field. Mm. Interesting. Like maybe like yeah yeah like maybe, maybe the formal property maybe it's useful to have such properties in the service of having a better user interface but it doesn't seem to me like the method you want is to just prove that certain properties are fulfilled ah i see it, it i it it's not like programming isn't like mathematics for its own sake yeah uh um, that's interesting it's interesting because i i followed the the trace of of programming history a little bit differently um the, the way that the path through it i've looked at is um Initially, we had programming languages, like they, they came up from like assembly and um, like circuits, you know, mm -hmm. circuits and whatnot. And they were very much, um, it was very practical. Uh, like programming, mm -hmm. it, it was never thought of as an interface. That's, that's as far as I can tell. But it, it was definitely just seen as like higher levels of telling the computer what to do. Mm -hmm. And then it wasn't until uh, Scott and Stratchery, I may be getting their names wrong, Dana Scott and, and Stratchery, who, who first was like, tr they tried to create these mathematical objects to prove certain properties about pieces of pr programs to like see mm -hmm. if they, like, they, they were the first people to talk about denotational design and program correctness. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. Haskell people reference these guys a lot. And, yeah. um, and, and what they found was that you really can't prove anything of interesting about the languages we have. They're just, they're so willy nilly 
like any anything you know can do anything to any anywhere um mm -hmm. we have like no idea about correctness uh, and i think that's where um uh there's a really famous turing award lecture i think it's can programming be liberated from the von yeah, yeah, yeah. architecture right right where, right. where he where he where he's like pulling on their work and it's like, my goodness, we've got to make better programming languages mm -hmm. uh, that, we, that we can prove things about that are mathematical. Uh, and so from, uh, anyways, I'm, I'm kind of taken with that line through history of like, cause to me, the reaction of like, like, of like, oh my God, like how can we have, how can we let people be writing these languages that we can't have any assurance about like, if it does what we think it's going to do. Like, like that, mm -hmm. that to me seems like, um, like a huge crisis. I think, you know, the, the other, so you're reacting negatively against like o overly formalizing math uh, mm -hmm. programming, but, but I think you also, I, you don't want to go too far in the other direction because. Uh, yeah. The, yeah. So anyways. Well, I, I think um, it's interesting that you trace that line because I think that the line, you know, for example, that real talk and dynamic land comes from, is like a very different line just going yeah. back historically. Um, and one, one distinction that you hear from time to time, there's a, I think a paper about like the idea of programming language versus programming system. Uh, and so I always describe real talk as a programming system in the vein of, you know, small talk or the list machine, which we're sort yeah. of totalizing, like there's a language, yes, but there's also an operating system and an editor and kind mm -hmm. of specific ways in which you program. Yeah. Whereas to me, the, the notion of language is that it's something that you write in Emacs and then you, yeah. know, you go to your terminal and you run a command and that, that mm -hmm. uh, closes yep. the loop. Yep. Yeah, um, yeah. That, that makes a lot of sense. That, that, that of course, is, is its own thread, programming systems. And right. they've mostly, they've been getting a lot of short shrift in modern days. Like people think of language, like that's the idea of languages. They're like, they're literally just text and text files. You can run them on any machine uh, as opposed to, I guess today, today's world, probably the, the most popular programming system would be Scratch that I could think of. Well, I'm sure there are others. It depends on your definition of programming. Yeah, like Excel uh, or whatever, but yeah. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, you're right. Excel's, I guess, pretty yeah, big. I, mean, but, I guess my, my view is like, once you have gone and once you've chosen programming language as your framing, you've sort of, you've given up a lot of the battle, right? Like now you've admitted, okay, we're going to let people use their own text editor. We're going to have yeah, a yeah. compiler uh, compiler or interpreter command. Um, yeah, yeah. Whereas if you have programming system, you have a lot more scope available to you in terms of crafting the interface and the experience. Uh, interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So if you, if you decide that you're going to write a language, you've decided that the interface is a text file and the, the, and the way to get around it is a keyboard with like arrow keys and letters and, yeah, exactly, yeah. exactly, yeah. Or, or, or it's like pick your own interface. You can use VI or you can use Emacs, you can use Sublime. Uh, we're, we're just focused on the language. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and so I, I, I've been talking a lot to Jonathan Edwards these days, and he's, I think, one of the people who's really promulgated this idea that you need both. You need to, like, focus on the language and the semantics. Mm -hmm. That's really important, but also the interface. He, he, yeah. He's trying to yeah. do both. He's trying to grow the system towards each other at the same time. Um, yeah. Where Brett, Brett more mostly focuses more on the the interface part, and then the compiler people focus more on the, the language part. Uh, Jonathan never tries to focus on both. Is that how you see it too? Yeah, I think you know maybe one reason that Brett has focused more on system is just because there's less work in system, so you can make more more of an impact there. Um, mm -hmm. But yeah, I mean, I think 
my, my view is that like if you say system you are uh you know you are including language in the system so you can yeah. write you can still do work in language whereas if you say language you're not including system mm -hmm. so i kind of view um but certainly yeah i think i i guess the like one one way to put it is i think a lot of the techniques are from people who just think about languages are useful um but i don't think they're the goal for me so i do kind of think of, well, i do like things from both mm -hmm. interesting yeah that, that makes a lot of sense i um I, and I agree with that, that there's a lot less work, especially in academia, done on the system and user interface side of things. Uh, but if yeah. you're someone who's like really in this world, like I am and I, and I was, I got the impression that like all the work was on interfaces. Because like mm -hmm. w w when you or I or people who watch Brett's work and try and like imitate it or, or build off it, we do a lot of interface work. Uh, so recently I've kind of reacted with my own work, reacted in the other direction and decided, mm -hmm. you know what, like, I want to do interface work eventually, but I don't yet have a language or like semantics that I can build an interface on top of. Like, yeah, you, you know, yeah. I, I, so right now I've kind of died. Yeah, I mean, the... I mean, real talk, even real talk has, you know, semantics. Like it's, you yeah. know, it's, it's not a pure interface. Yeah, yeah of course. Of uh, course. Design. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So I think I agree with you. Like, you know, we should yeah, thinking yeah. about the linguistic, the paradigm side is useful. Yeah. Yeah. Anyways, I just wanted to put out there that, it, it's hard for me to communicate to people in this world and especially like people who, who don't understand this work that what I'm doing now uh, is I'm like investigating semantics of a paradigm that I will then build a programming interface system for. Right. So, You're like, like in a pocket of a pocket of a pocket. Uh, <laughs> yes. Uh, like it's, yeah, it's a, it's a weird tangent. And, and so when people say, Oh, like how's the programming language going? Or are you like, what, are you building a language? It's like, uh, I'm, I'm like figuring out the semantics for a thing that's going to look kind of like a programming language, maybe one day. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. It, it, it's hard. It's a multi, multifaceted problem. Anyways. Yeah. Um, that, that was a fun little tangent. I, I want to just, check uh if there are other interesting anecdotes you have uh that, that can elucidate the benefits or or some of the negatives of animal we've been mostly been very positive yeah. on it or, like yeah. do you have other little tidbits to share to like give a fuller picture of the space yeah let me think um as far as negatives go um i mean i think one of one of the open questions is is dynamic land going to be able to sit on the like sort of critical path of day-to-day -day usage for anyone and you know i like i know it is a research project but if you make the comparison as everyone does to Xerox park in the 70s you know people at Xerox park were using it to send email to each other you know people's spouses would come in at night to write their theses on the word processor um, and so i think having that kind of use as part of a workflow is is something that we we don't quite have yet even though people have written a lot of code and played around with the system. There's now 19,000 roughly pages that have been done. Uh, but I don't think it's on anyone's critical like Monday through Friday path for their, you know, separate work. Mm. That, that, that's an interesting criticism. Uh, I, I guess to like, to play devil's advocate to that criticism, what Xerox Park built happens to be like the uh, like place where work happens today you know like yes 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 so like to, to pick that example it's kind of like unfair because it, it's like saying i i don't know it because because what what a computer is is like where we do all of our work and like all of the apps like microsoft office like the excel apps powerpoint 
like that's where every you know that, like anyone who does knowledge work mm-hmm. is sitting on the computer doing this work and so it was so of course xerox park even even an early version of that would be the thing that's immediately on everyone's critical path nine to five right. um so yeah I, so that comparison if, if this is trying to be a replacement for that then that comparison would make sense but i don't know if if it is, I don't think it's trying to exclusively be a replacement for that, but oh, I think yeah. that is part of the vision. Is it was that, like, subsumed. This type of knowledge work is subsumed into. Um, but I think on the positive side, um, you know, I don't know if you ever got to visit the old CDG lab in San Francisco. Uh, no, but I, you know, I, I visited there a few times, and my criticism of them was always that it was like pretty kind of they had these little experiments and then they had this laser tracking system and it all kind of felt like pure demo wear right like it was the kind of thing that you only used to show other people but didn't use yourselves day to day and i think dynamic land is definitely a step in the right direction away mm-hmm. from that and toward uh sort of the use that can test the system and and get it um to work really well even if just for one or two paths mm-hmm. so when people come into the space what you're you're building a map kit and that makes a lot of sense it's like um actually let's talk about map kit what what is it and uh how do people use it how do you use it yeah so it's a kit for um for maps and so the idea is and when you say a kit is it like a library or framework how how do we programmers process what a kit is yeah i i think i mean you uh i assume steve will put a link You'll, you'll put a link up to the, to the post if you want to know yeah. more. But, yeah, yeah, yeah. But, I, I, um, yeah, of course. But it's, it is like a, somewhere between a library and a framework and an application. I mean, these things are not so separated <laughs> um, because anybody can extend or read a piece of code or like use some functionality as long as they make the right wishes and claims, right? Um, or as long as they check on wishes and claims that the framework makes. And so, so and just most, to be clear, like... The, the protocol of wishes and claims for dynamic the for um, map kit it's all like text it's just strings like like give can you give an example of a wish or a claim that someone would have yeah to so so a claim with? would be uh a claim would a claim uh claims are usually about domain data so a claim in this case would be like for a given page like i represent a certain geographic area like with lo- longitude and latitude coordinates so i represent like these coordinates that are san francisco or these coordinates that are new york city and so, so that's an example will, of a claim. And if someone want to interface, I like the thing that kind of struck me is they just have to like use the word. If you use the word represent in your interface, they just have to spell the word represent in the same way. And then yes, all of a sudden, yes. yes. So, yeah. Um, which is an interesting, like it's, it's, it seems like, um, you know, you like, you can, you can certainly portray this as like just a key value thing, but the fact of having to spell sentences and like do pattern matching on them, it, it feels like a very different qualitatively qualitative mm-hmm. experience yeah it's not like um, you're calling a function with the same name or or like yeah inheriting a class with, with certain properties it's you're just writing an english sentence that in, in the same pattern as as the framework you're using right and and when you do a when which is what matches on on claims and wishes in the database you you're basically pattern matching and you can extract data from from the statement uh, mm-hmm. and, and you can also do, of, yeah go for it and you can also do joins where you like want some conjunction of statements to be true and, and you want like some of what some pattern match variable to be the same and all the clauses. Mm, uh, yeah, yeah. So there's like some fairly, some fairly sophisticated uh, D- data database logic. style or, yeah. uh, or uh, you know, ML pattern matching style, some combination of those. 
Yeah, yeah. And so to me, it feels it felt a bit like wins were kind of like callbacky things. Is that how you think of them? Yeah, that is that is kind of how I think of them, and I think that's mostly uh, correct. That's mostly like a useful way to think of them. Um, I the other the other comparison I make is to the React uh, like render routine. Um, in that, you know, the render routine in React, if people are familiar with React, it's called whenever the the uh, the property, the props or state going into a React component change, the render routine is, is called and it generates a new like view. Mm-hmm. Um, and so a lot of the WENs work this, the WENs will work this way as well. Like whenever a claim changes, the WENs that depend on that claim will be re-executed. Maybe they'll make new claims and wishes in turn. And so it, yep. that's, that's why I call it a reactive system. Got it. So, okay, sorry I interrupted you a bunch. You could continue explaining what map kit is. Yeah, so it's this it's this um, map kit. And, and so you have there, you can get maps, right? Like you can have a map of San Francisco and there's a bunch of different ways to obtain something that's a semantic map. And then you can draw layers of, of information on top. So there's a layer that's just like a normal open street map map that looks like what you go, what you get when you go to Google Maps, like the streets and the, the house shapes and whatever else. And there's also a layer that's like a racial dot map. So you can see drawn or painted on the map, the sort of distribution of of races or demographics in that part of the US. And then there's a different layer that's public transit lines where you can see like, what are the major public transit lines in that place? And you can layer these all on top of each other. Um, You can take them in and out and they will work on any map. Uh, So so the, the way I think of it is that there's ways to get maps of particular places. And then there's these tools that you can apply to a map. And so, so how can you get maps? Um, so one way is you can just type in the claim uh, and have like a fixed map of a certain place. Another way is that there's these zoom zoom lenses that you can point at an existing map and they'll zoom into some region on the map. And then like the zoom page will turn into a map that's zoomed in of that region. And mm-hmm. then you can also apply the layers to that zoomed in, zoomed in map. And then you can apply a zoom page to a zoom page and like get something that's further zoomed in. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, the composability, beautiful. And there's also there's also a tool that will like you can point at one of these virtual zoomed in maps or any other map and it'll like print it out with like a picture from Google Maps that's been you know uh, that's been tagged with the right coordinates. Then you can put that down and draw layers on top of it. Um, so there's like a variety of different ways to get maps, and once you have a map, all the tools will work on it immediately. Beautiful. And so why did you choose maps? How, what drew you to those initially? Um, so, so it was something I'd been interested in, you know, I've been interested in public transportation in cities for a few years. And so when I came into Dynamically and I was thinking about things I wanted to do, this was an area that really appealed to me, uh, cause it was a way to explore this interest. And it's also deeply spatial, um, in, in a way that I think is, is almost ideal, uh, as a demonstration for Dynamically because being able to move, um, be, being able to, you know, move these zoom things around, uh, like this idea of a zoom chain was one of the first ideas that popped into my head and kind of inspired the whole design of the system. Having mm-hmm. like a page zoomed into another page, zoomed into another page. Mm-hmm. Um, and one one thing that I've realized over time is another advantage is that it's really engaging and collaborative to people. Like when I when people come in and I show them the system, the first thing they'll usually do is they'll type in their hometown or where they live now. And you know we'll we'll all stand around and we'll look at it and we'll like talk about 
different neighborhoods where they live and like the demographics of different neighborhoods and where the public transit runs. So it's a really great way to get people engaged and get people involved, like playing with the system a little bit. Mm. Yeah. Uh, I, I like, you had a few stories in your wonderful article that, that we we keep referencing uh, about how people have used it. it it's really cool. I, I, I totally did not, like you say, it's very easy to miss things when you, when you go visit. I, when you were building your map kit prototypes uh, when I was there, I did not understand the potential and, and where, where this was going. But now, now it makes a lot more sense. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, it, and it's, it's oh, one other thing I'll say about it is that I, I kind of talk about it as though it's one big project, but it's really kind of a concatenation of like a lot of smaller projects, right? Like there was the first prototype I was working on with you where I was just learning how to draw maps and then eventually like little things would get added on as I come in and like learn about something or some function would be added to the system. Um, but I think having this one unifying project has helped it, you know, be really cool and kind of accrete interesting stuff uh, and, and get more and more refined. Yeah. So um, besides the development of Mac, map kit, what, um, since I was there uh, at, at the end of January, what, what else is new at the world of dynamic land? Yeah, so I think when you were there, we were just starting to make the transition to keyboards. So I mentioned at the beginning, mm -hmm. you know, until like a few months ago, when you came in, you had to use a laptop to edit any of the code. And yeah. now we have these free floating keyboards that you just point at a page and uh, you and edit that page. And it makes a huge difference in terms of engagement, because now, and you know, once you have your laptop, you're on your laptop. Uh, you're, you're like on Facebook, you're checking Twitter, you're checking your email. Uh, but having keyboards and having an editor that's implemented in the system in real talk uh, it makes it's made a big difference. Um, having high resolution projectors is the other thing that I mentioned. Uh, that's what made the map kit possible in the first place is being able to mm -hmm. render high resolution maps. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so, so those are technical improvements. There's a lot of different projects um, that have happened recently. Nikki came in and did this Frog Wars thing, which is really great. Uh, it's a really mm -hmm. fun half physical, half digital game where the computer cool. keeps track of scores and like the computer keeps track of scores, but you, you uh, hop around these little paper frogs uh, to play and you can take turns. You can choose different rules, uh, kind of like a board game, right? Like you can choose whatever rules you want and the computer some layer of computation on top of that. Hmm. Um, there's a few other um, really cool projects people have done. There's, um, there's a geometry, there's a, like group theory, like tessellations demo, where you can draw something next to this page and it will like make a tessellated version of it. I don't fully understand it, but it's a really fun thing to play with because you can just draw or, or move things in front of the camera. Mm. Um, I, I have a few projects that I've been doing recently. I started writing a web browser, uh, which is an interesting project. Yeah, and uh, and I've, I've also started playing with these Raspberry Pis, which are really exciting because they let me plug new kinds of sensors and actuators into the system. I built a little robot uh, this past week that is connected to RealTalk and programmed in RealTalk, but mm. it can drive around. Oh, wow. Cool. Yeah. That's, that's awesome. Yeah. So, so a lot of uh, super exciting stuff and, um, you know, there, and I know that some of the research staff are working on some even more exciting stuff uh, over the next few months. So hopefully we'll see more of that. Cool. Um, so yeah, I'd be curious to talk about the future of dynamic land uh, or how you see the future. Because mm -hmm. um, we, we talked about a bit how, of course, you have to compare it to Xerox Park. Um, yeah. But I, I think 
it's not i don't think the, I, i'm actually pretty sure that the people behind dynamic Land don't see the success case as a, a modern day steve jobs <laughs> rolls in it takes a uh, takes a what what they refer to as a low pass filter of of the yes, idea yes. and then go capitalizes on them and we're all stuck with like you know the the a, a version of dynamic land that's that's not yeah. success right right so what is success in their mind or or, or in your um, mind how how could this project succeed what's the path forward yeah it's a good question and it's something that i it's another one of these things that i'm still trying to wrap my head around because the vision is you know very ambitious and long range in a way that you don't often see um, well, yeah, but let's, I think let's, linger, the, let's linger on that. Like, uh, just can you articulate how long? Because I, I remember it's it's not like, oh, I want this company to last 100 years. This is like much longer range than even that. Yeah, I mean, I think they, they view themselves not just in the tradition of Xerox Park, but in the tradition of the printing press, where it's <laughs> like, you know, we're in the first, like, you know, you imagine being in the first 50 years of the printing press being made. And like trying to figure out like what are the forms like how big should books be you know what kind of how is this different from scri from scribal work what's what's the effect on society and you know people argue like the protestant reformation like the and the you know scientific the, revolution. the catholic church the, the science right. like those all came from the, this availability of this new medium uh of mm -hmm. the printing press and so yep. i think that's one of the moles that they're thinking in is like we're here to make the dynamic you know the computer medium and we're here to kind of do it right for the next 50, 100, 200, 300 years. Um, and like, what are the right, what's the right ways to do that technically? And like, what are the principles we want to follow? Mm. Grant. So, okay. So anyway, so, so that's, that's the vision. So what's, uh, what, what are those more concrete steps forward in the next three, five, 10, 20 years? Yeah, it's, it's a good question. I think um, the, this, this sort of path, that um, I, I think that the path is like get this dynamic land right, like get it working, figure out what the right ways to do things are. Um, mm -hmm. Then once once the, once we think we have a good idea, you know, maybe have more dynamic lands in other places, and then it becomes sort of a public library type model where it's a community space, it's a place. Um, where people can come in and do computation in the same way they go to a library and, and get books as a resource for their own work. Um, and then- I've recently spent some time in libraries and mm -hmm. I don't know how well Dynamic Land would, would be, it, it's very different than a, than a library. Yeah, well, I think, um, you know, computation is different from, from books. Uh, yeah, that's true. I guess what I was gonna yeah. say is that libraries are very solitary, you go, you don't talk to anyone. You, you, you try and be as quiet as possible. Yeah, and I think this is one of the interesting things is that like one of the ideas, like some of the ideas in Dynamic Land seem to me, like not just a rejection of the personal computer interface that we have now, but also almost a rejection of books, right? Because books like are the precursor to this kind of solitary Fascinating. Uh, that's an interesting, that's a fascinating idea. Like, so I went to a library and there were all these people. They were interesting, all from different walks of life. I spent the last few weeks. I was I've been visiting libraries in New York City, mm -hmm. and and we don't interact. Or if we do interact, it's shh. You know, it's, it's, that, yeah. that's like the extent yeah. of interaction. But if this this library looked more like Dynamic Land, and we all just had really no choice but to do our work in public, <laughs> man, like that would be an entirely different feel. Like I yeah. like 
chances are there'd be someone working on something interesting to me or to other people and like conversations, collaboration, my goodness. That, yeah. Cause the, the thing that the smartphone has been doing to us all is uh, I, I heard this great story in another podcast uh, where someone said, you know, 20 years ago, he went to jury duty and in the breaks you would chat with other people. You, you'd yeah. be reading the paper. You'd see what they'd read, you chat. But today we're all on our phones getting content that's specifically tailored to us based on Twitter and mm-hmm. Facebook where they know mm-hmm. about us. And so we only see the people who are just like us that we're interested in and, yeah. and, and nobody's talking to anyone else. And so it's, it's fascinating that dynamic land really is trying, it's, it's kind of a social idea. They're using technology really to change the social fabric of, of our society. Yeah, I mean, I, I think, I think we think like, you know, the technology like really matters like the smartphone, you know, there's technical choices, but those have social consequences. Mm. Um, yeah, so so that's that would be like you know the next five years, the next ten years. But I think eventually the vision is you know you talk about the smartphone. I think we kind of view the smartphone as like a flashlight. It's like you put the batteries in, you carry it around with you. But eventually, we want there to be computation infrastructure, just like you have light bulbs in your ceiling that it's just mm. everywhere. That's um, that's a great metaphor. Wow. That's really cool. And, you don't, you don't, you, so know, like, you don't bring a flashlight around with you. They're just you. You go walk in a room and you press the button and the lights turn on. Yeah. Fascinating. Wow. We don't. We don't. We're not lugging around computers. We're not lugging around smartphones. The computation right. like, is there. There's a, there's a view. I think the modern view of new technology is that it has to be a device, but you know it could be infrastructure also, and that's like a different way to do uh, technical. Wow. That's crazy. Fascinating. Fascinating. Yeah, it's interesting. Like, I guess that version kind of is like everything's in the cloud. You're not carrying around data in your pocket. Or I guess you could, but yeah. I mean, I I think you know you you want to know what's going on. I maybe there's a cloud, or maybe you just carry it on on paper. I'm not sure, but um... fascinating. Wow. Yeah, that, well, that's quite a vision. I I, that, I even after going to Dynamic Land and thinking about it a lot, I never quite realized uh mm-hmm. quite how grand the vision is you know like screw these devices yeah. computation can be wow yeah computation could be like lights right and then and you know keeping all the proper like you carry around your computer your little pieces of computation with the, you you can edit them you can still change them like all these yeah. things should still should be part oh of them. interesting so it's not not rigid structure right not like apps, usually think like you get an app and it's like it's mm-hmm. the app. Well, that's tough you're not going to change it yeah if, it, if it's a if it's infrastructure because you, you know i don't know of any city infrastructure that's mutable it's all <laughs> yeah or like it, well, it's I, all I, very I, rigid. yeah i think i think there's like an infrastructure layer and then there's like a you carry your pages around with you or you buy pages or whatever and then those yeah, are yeah. those are editable um, interesting yeah yeah it's funny because um, I don't know if you've seen in, in big cities they have these Wi-Fi towers where you can charge your phone, yeah. get directions, and it's like a I've seen Wi-Fi. those in in New York, I think. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So I think a lot of cities are they're popping up um, and they have little ads on them, and I, I don't know like what, what reaction I have to them. Mostly just mirth, like haha, like yeah, it's yeah. Like kind of a funny little box like on the sidewalk. Yeah. I guess yeah. we're I guess it's 2018 now. It's official. Like New York City knows. Uh, <laughs> But this is like an entirely different way to think about technology's infrastructure that like it's just so far from that. So much so much grander than like a little mm-hmm. Wi-Fi tower. Yeah. That can charge your phone. Oh, wow. That, that, that made my day. Thanks for that. Uh, <laughs> mm-hmm. 
Cool. Okay. So got it. We, we've covered dynamic land. Thanks for walking me through it. I think uh, for the people who can't get out there just yet, um, this, this conversation could be very helpful. Yeah. I think there's always kind of more angles to take to illuminate it. So I hope this is useful uh, as far as that goes. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Thanks for taking the time for that. Um, in the last few minutes, I just want to talk a bit about you and uh, what your future looks like because you know I, you, you've worked on a lot of really interesting projects um so i'm i'm of course fascinated where where you're going next if you have thoughts on that uh, i guess yeah, in particular um i just want to like the angle that that is also curious for me is balancing making enough money to live with working on inter- projects you find interesting like finding a sustainable way to work on interesting things yeah it's a great question it's still something that i'm trying to figure out um and, you know, I, like, I'm happy to chat with anyone uh, who wants to talk about this kind of stuff who may have an interesting project. Um, I mean, I think there are things about the. We've talked about this before. I think there are things about the market mechanism that are useful in terms of, like, um, knowing that you're doing something that people find interesting and useful. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I think the balance there is the short-term versus long-term orientation. Mm-hmm. And that's why Dynamic Land has taken the attack that they have, where they're like, we can't make, we don't want to make the kind of thing we can make money on in the next year. We want to take a long-term orientation. And so that's why they've done this whole nonprofit thing. Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, if that's not a concern, I don't have any objection, like in principle to, to making money off of, off of <laughs> that makes sense. Um, I think that I've read in other writings of yours that you, along with me and, and many programmers of this type suffer from maybe building tools that are over generalizable with like yeah uh, like a, a clear specific without use a case. case without a use case first yeah yeah so i'd be curious yeah like what have you learned from from those battle scars and uh, how are you approaching things differently now yeah i mean i think the the, the, the easiest thing uh you know i have this screenshot app that i've actually put on sale this last year the easiest thing is like having a tool where i and, and so I know it's kind of useful for me and people like me. Um, I think this step beyond, so that's, that's kind of step one or step zero um, in terms of not making things that are too general, making things that you know are useful. To you. Um, if, yeah, if, if that's a goal. Because um, I figure if something's useful to me, it's probably going to be useful to other people who are like me. Like yeah. maybe it'll be useful to you. Maybe it'll be useful to some other friends of mine. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the step beyond that is, and this is hard, is like just to have other interests. You know, the map kit kind of emerged from my interest in public transportation or my interest in maps. <laughs> um, and I think like if you stay just in the programming world, um, you know, it can be diff- like I think there are a lot of interesting problems there, but it can. It, I think what one of the reasons you get that overgeneralization is if you're just kind of working in the programming world and you don't have anything concrete in mind from outside mm-hmm. to ground up. Yeah, yeah. That's a good point. Yeah, Brett, Brett gave me that advice too. It's, it's kind of hard advice, like get a hobby. Right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, this is my hobby. <laughs> right. I mean, a lot of the early, you know, if you think about Fortran used for, for computation, for math and science, if you think about COBOL used for business, LISP yeah. used for artificial intelligence, you know, there is at least like a vague kind of outside domain for a lot of the early work that, yeah, that, yeah. that start kicked off the field, right? Of course. Of course. Um, so, 
you mentioned just, just a few seconds ago that um, if someone you, you said like, you know, if, if anyone's interested in talking about projects, you'd be happy to talk. Can you be a little more specific? You're saying like if someone wants to hire you to do something like the work you've done or, or maybe start something yeah, together? I mean, I, 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 yeah, I mean, at the moment, I'm kind of looking around um, for things I want to do next. So, um, you know, if if somebody out there is inter- is, you know, find some of the projects I've done interesting, um, I'm always uh, interested in chatting with people who are doing this kind of stuff. I've talked to a bunch of people. Um, at education startups, for instance, about, uh, you know, visualization and languages and stuff like that. And it's always nice to meet people in this field, right? Like, it's a pretty small, you know, people like you and me. Uh, yeah. Have you, um, I, I forget the name, the company that Jan, Jan Paul used to work at. Have you, have you spoken to them? Remix. Um, yes. I have not chatted with them, um, but I feel I've, like that's you know, a pretty natural, to, yes, yes, a, yes. A, a pretty natural spot for you. It's maps yeah. and, you know, and like public, you know, it, it's a lot of the, the themes you're interested in. Yeah, I've, I've chatted, I've chatted with, with uh, JP a little about, about them also. Cool. Um, yeah, fascinating. Um, all right. So if anyone's listening, uh, that, that's interested in working with Omar. Uh, I, that, that's that's really awesome that you're that you're like um, open to a lot of different opportunities. It's a I hope I hope yeah, some, I mean, someone. I've, yeah, I've done I've done a lot to keep up kind of flexibility. Um, you know, to pursue various things like you know playing around at Dynamic Land. You know, doing the screenshot app. So it's something that I'm hoping to keep keep going with. Cool. Um, sounds great. Um, is there any other thing you want to mention, like uh, uh, talk about things you want to like interact with? You know, should people email you if they have questions about certain things? What? Yeah, how, emails, how, do you, how do you want? Email is yeah. great. Uh, Twitter is also great. Those are both uh, good ways to get in touch with me. You've been very funny on Twitter recently, I have to say. Yeah, I've been trying to get, you know, there's a lot of thinking around this stuff that I think like, you know, dynamically and in particular, but also other related things, which I think like has never been written down, let alone shared with anyone. So just trying to get some of those things out, out of my head and other people's heads. Um, it's a noble, noble project. I appreciate it. I, I, the, and, and also I got a few laughs. It, it took me a few seconds, yeah. but uh, <laughs> Douglas Engel Muni, that, that was a good Yeah, joke. that's that, a that good, good one. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, sometimes it's just stuff that's stuck in my head. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Cool. Well, cool. thanks again cool. for taking the time. This was wonderful to talk to yeah, you. Yeah, no, this was this is super fun. Uh, yeah. All right. All right. Th- so, thanks, Steve. Yeah. Thanks.